So yesterday, I played in a beach volleyball tournament, two-on-two beach volleyball tournament with my dad. Um, My dad is 67 years old, and it's really fun to play in tournaments with him because we go out onto the court, and at beach volleyball tournaments, most of the guys who play are young, muscly, strong. They're bumping it and hitting it real hard, and they're excited to be out there. And so when they see my dad walk onto the court, they think, oh, sweet Jesus, thank you. We are going to whip up on this old man. And it's usually by the fourth or fifth play when one of the guys jumps up and slams it and he just pops it right up. Or when they try to hit a shot and his body kind of creaks, but he gets over and he pops it up. Or when he starts hitting shots in front of them and then behind them and then in front of them where they start to say, oh my gosh, this old man is going to beat me. (laughs) It's so much fun. Because when they see him, They think, this is what I see. But that's not actually what he is. Now, one of the questions that haunts us as humans, that's haunting each of you to some degree or another right now as you sit in your pew, is this. What do people see when they look at me? What do people see when they look at me? And the other question is, what does God see when he looks at me? And today, that is what we're going to be talking about. So if you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Samuel 16. It's page 238 in the Pew Bible. 1 Samuel 16, starting in verse 1. It starts out, The Lord said to his prophet Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? And so in the previous chapter, we just saw Saul was rejected. And earlier on, when the first king Saul was anointed king, it said, it described him that he was a head taller than everybody else. He looked like a king. He was strong. He was tall. He looked like a warrior. But the problem was he was disobedient to God. And God rejected him. And so now God is saying to Samuel, now I want you to go. Fill your horn with oil. Take your ram's horn, fill it up with olive oil. I want you to go to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king from amongst his sons. Now this is interesting because this is the last real main active ministry that Samuel does. He kind of fades into black after this for the most part. And this is the most important thing he will do in his ministry And God leaves him in the dark about who he's going to pick and how he's going to know. This is the only time in all of Samuel's accounts that God hasn't told him directly the instructions for what he should do. So he sets out. He goes to Bethlehem. He calls a sacrifice, invites Jesse and his sons. And then there's this processional where each of the sons is paraded before Samuel. And as soon as Samuel locks eyes with Eliab, he says, this has got to be the next king. He was tall. He was strong. He looked like a king. And then we hear this countercultural truth. Listen in verse 7. It says this. Do not look on his appearance, God speaking to Samuel, or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord 
looks on the heart. He says, Samuel, it's not Eliab. The next brother walks by, it's not him. The next brother walks by, it's not him. All of these men are strong, look like kings. Nope, not them. All seven sons go by. Now, did you hear this? Listen to the first half of this statement. Man looks on the outward appearance. Has anything changed in three, 4,000 years? Whether you're in middle school or you're middle-aged, life teaches you this lesson over and over and over again. Man looks in the outward appearance. Man looks in the outward appearance. Man looks in the outward appearance. And we're tempted to believe this lie. Here it is. Because man sees our outward appearance, fabricating an outward life is the only way to truly be seen, to truly be valued, to truly be content. And this lie of fabricating this outward appearance is so pervasive that it often haunts us and consumes our mind, our activities. We try to prove ourselves at work and our friend groups. It consumes our bank accounts. I gotta build an outward appearance. So I wanna ask you a question. Be honest with yourself about this. Which kind of outward life are you tempted to fabricate? Are you tempted to craft? There's probably three main ones. There's beauty in bronze, which is, am I beautiful enough? Am I strong enough? Am I athletic enough? This is especially tempting when you're younger, but it really carries on throughout. That's why there's anti-aging creams and all those things. Am I beautiful enough? Am I strong enough? And then there's the brain. My intellect, am I smart enough? You go into meetings and you're consumed with, am I the smartest guy here? Am I the smartest woman here? Am I the most well-read? Do I have the most degrees? Am I the most competent? Man looks at the outward appearance, right? Or, if not beauty and bronze or brains, then your bucks, your bank account. Do I look successful? Do I wear nice clothes? Do people look at me and say, yeah, they got a lot going on in their lives? There's a story of a middle schooler that I had when I was in youth ministry. She was a sixth grader and she was not the most popular girl in the youth group. But she had a beautiful heart. And I remember when she came into uh, Sunday school and she had an iPad. And this was the very beginning of the iPad. This is the iPad one. So nobody had seen one. I had never seen one. And all of a sudden, all the girls were circled around her. And they were saying, oh, show me how to do this. Oh, how does this work? Oh, can I see? Can I hold it? And she learned that lesson. She heard that lie. Man looks at the outward appearance. They don't care about your heart. Starts early on, and we hear it throughout all of our days. So, let me ask you this. This lie, is it working for you? Do you feel seen? Do you feel valued? Do you feel content? And if not, maybe you were meant for more. So then, what does God see? Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
What that means is, and you're probably not gonna hear this outside of the body of Christ, is that God is not impressed by our beauty. He's not impressed by our strength and athleticism. He's not impressed by our body type. He's not impressed by the degree we have. He's not impressed by our Instagram or Facebook profile. He's not impressed by the brands we wear, the phones that we have, the cars we drive, or the houses we own. You see, man is impressed by all those things. God is not impressed by those things. See, man looks at you, but God looks in you. The Lord looks at the heart. And so the question then is, how do we conform our lives around that, that inward life? Now, some of us are probably thinking, well, I have heard this message before. You know, there's Dove's campaign for real beauty. And most of us, even, even those who would not call yourselves a Christian, would agree that there is more than just external beauty, right? Inner beauty is important. And you might hear this out there, so transform your inner self. Be happy with yourself. And I'll call this the gospel of self-esteem. It says that beauty is more than skin deep. And the message is to build up your self-worth by working on your inner self. Now, this is a correct, this is a nice corrective move to change the focus from the outward to the inward. But the problem with the gospel of self-esteem is that it's only a half-truth. Because it's not consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because working on your self-esteem and working on your inner self is still a form of self-salvation, isn't it? It's still a form of you trying to say, let me heal my own heart. But the gospel tells us that beauty, yes, is more than skin deep, but sin is more than skin deep as well. Our inner self, if we're honest with ourselves, is just as much of a mess as our outer selves. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law and wife, we were all washing our cars together. And we had all four cars lined up and the hoses out and everything and vacuums. And washing the outside of the car was a lot of fun. You know, we live on a dirt road and so we were washing off all that dirt and making it shiny and it was really fun. And then we started to wash the inside of the cars and that's when it started to get a little embarrassing. (laughs) Because I started to be like, man, I didn't realize how dirty I had let this thing get. Like, how long has that french fry been down there? (laughs) We're like, whoa, this is like a a storage unit. What is happening here? And the reality is that's the case with our heart as well. As the inside is just as messy as the outside is. If we are honest with ourselves. And even King David, the king that God chose in this passage, the man after God's own heart knew this truth. That in order for him to be cleaned on the inside, it had to come from the outside from someone greater than himself. Listen in Psalm 51, his famous poem of repentance. He writes, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So there's something, even as we are born into the world, there's something that's broken in us that can't be healed by ourselves. And he says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Listen here. Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. 
You see, what made King David great was that he recognized his need for something greater than himself to cleanse him. So this morning, are you tired? Are you tired of building this outward life? Are you tired of trying to heal yourself on the inside? Are you tired of trying to impress people or be seen? Well, Jesus is offering you a gift this morning because Jesus is the only one. He's the true one that we long for that looks not only at us but in us and says, I see all of that brokenness and I know you can't heal yourself and I want you. I love you so much that I will die for you. And I want to read this description to you. It's the description for our text in Isaiah 53 for our sermon series. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. For our sin is what caused him to be punished on that cross. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. If you want peace, give him all of those things. And with his wounds, we are healed. When people walked by the cross and saw Jesus on it, What did they see? Isaiah 52 tells us this. As many were astonished at him, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. What that tells us is that when Jesus took our ugliness and sin on the cross, he was so hideous and broken and beaten for us that he became ugly for us so that we could be presented to him. Righteous, whole, beautiful, healed. Jesus says, you want a new heart? I can give you one. You want me to heal you from the outside in or from the inside out? I can do it for you. Come to me. That's the offer to you this morning. And so, Once we have received that gift, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to receive that gift at the end of the service, at the end of the sermon, but once you've received that gift, how do we then cultivate an inner life? Because we want to live as God sees us, don't we? We want to be like King David. If you read in this passage, as soon as David walked into the room, probably smelling like sheep, God said, arise, anoint him. For this is he. You see, he had cultivated an inner life. God chose him for his heart. So how do we cultivate that inner life? And I think that there is a hint to how we cultivate that inner life when we look at what was he doing? What was his furnace of transformation? What was his training of the heart? Well, he went to this great leadership school in Jerusalem, right? No, no, he didn't. He was keeping the sheep. You see, there was something about the way that David cared for those sheep and took his responsibility seriously. When no one was around, he would have been out in the the fields, no one would be able to see him. There was something about when he took that everyday responsibility so seriously that God said, David, I want you to shepherd my sheep, Israel. And so, this morning, my challenge for you this week is 
going to God's school, his training, the habits of the heart that he's prepared for you. And guess what they are? You're already doing them. What God sees is you seeking to love your kids, seeking to call out to him when you grow impatient with them, seeking to share Christ with them, seeking to read the scriptures with them, seeking to just love them unconditionally. That's what God sees. He doesn't see your Instagram photo of your family all smiling and happy because you know that's not really the way that it is all the time. What God sees is the hard conversations that you're having with your spouse, the way that you're giving up time from your work to press into your relationship so that you can become one. What he is not impressed by is if you look like a happy and successful couple. What God sees, parents of adult children, what he sees is your prayers for your children. He's not impressed by the answer you give about what your kids are doing for a living now. What he sees is your love for your kids and your prayers for your kids. What he sees is your work. When you work diligently, when nobody's looking, that's what he sees. That's God's training. That's the habits of the heart. It's saying, God, I need you to help me grow when nobody's looking. In the hidden life, whatever shepherding the sheep looks like for you, I encourage you to press into that and invite God into that. Because in Psalm 23, we see that David thought about his shepherding like God help me to shepherd the sheep just like you shepherd me. Invite God into the, what seems like inconsequential, the things that nobody else is seeing. Invite him in this week. And then we get this little teeny detail at the end of the story. It says, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And listen to this. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, from that day forward, from that day forward. It was a daily rushing upon him. And that word rush upon literally means come in power. So much so that a person is here seeking to do a certain thing and another person comes alongside and pushes them onward and gives them strength to do what God has called them to do. And so what I want to pray for you this morning is that the Holy Spirit would rush upon you and give you strength to cultivate an inward life. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And you can fabricate an outward life, but you must cultivate an inward life by his strength. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us, for sending Jesus to die for us, to become ugly for us so that we can be made beautiful in him. And Lord, I pray that for those who want to receive you, Lord, send your Holy Spirit into their hearts. Give them a new heart. And Lord, I pray you would send your Holy Spirit into all those little responsibilities that we have this week. Lord, help us to cultivate an inward life by pressing into those things and inviting you into those things. And finally, Lord, for those in the room whose strength is failing, who are seeking to be faithful, but they feel they don't have the strength, Lord, send your Holy Spirit to come in power. Rush upon this your congregation, this your people who you love, and empower them to follow you into the world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.